Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krause is from the series Love. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Those words, I love you, can have a ton of different meanings. You know, we say, I love you a lot, and we've taken the word love, and we've diminished what it truly is in many ways, because we will hear people say, I love you all the time, or I love all the time. We'll hear, hear people say, I love my favorite artist. You know, they might love a musician, even though they don't really know who they are. We will proclaim, I love you, to um, our favorite team. We'll say, we love our favorite team until they're having a terrible season, and then we maybe don't love them so more, we'll, so much. We'll claim that we love pizza. We'll claim that we love puppies. Parents will tell their children that they love them. Spouses will tell each other that they love one another. Boyfriends and girlfriends will even utter the words, I love you, when they're ready to be more serious about their dating relationship. But at the end of the day, those three words, I love you, are simply words. They are just words if they lack and aren't followed up with actions and a display of that love. Because if you tell me that you love me, but you don't live your life in a way that reflects that love for me, then I'm not going to believe you that you love me. So today, we're going to learn and we're going to look at how we can live our life in a way that is proof that we love Jesus and that we love others around us. So our focus today in this love series is that love gives. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 12 to learn this biblical truth. The context of John chapter 12 is that we're beginning the last week of the life of Jesus on earth, right before Jesus is crucified. It's six days before the Passover. The resurrection of Lazarus that we learned about last week it has sparked a movement, and there are thousands of people trying to get close to Jesus now. They've heard that he rose Lazarus from the dead. And historical Passover records tell us that there were about 2.5 million people descending upon the region. That's a lot of people. So you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are trying to get close to Jesus, and you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are trying to take him out. They want to trap him. They want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. In fact, they're trying to kill Lazarus as well, which is kind of ironic because just last week we learned Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and now the Jews want to kill Lazarus because everyone is believing now in this Jesus Christ. So they want to take out Lazarus. They want to take out Jesus. And that's the context of what's happening in today's text as we get into John chapter 12. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read some from John chapter 12. We always stand in honor of God and his holy word. And today, since John chapter 12 is a long chapter, I'm going to read the first 11 verses as we stand. The others we won't have to stand for. Um, but John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief 
and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the days of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word today. In this passage, we have an extravagant display of love. An amazing display of love. Mary doesn't just tell Jesus that she loves him. She doesn't just give with words, say, I love you, Jesus. She proves it by giving extravagantly. This ointment is very expensive. One of the other gospel writers, Mark, tells us that she didn't just start pouring it out. She broke the alabaster jar open and she poured it all over him, is what Mark tells us. She anointed his body with this expensive oil, ointment. So she wasn't just carefully giving Jesus a little drop of her expensive ointment. She wasn't just dropping a little bit on his feet and just rubbing his feet like we might do if we're letting someone try out our favorite product. You know, we want to save a bunch of it and hold a bunch of it back. So, hey, try this lotion. And we give a little dab of it. She broke it open and she poured it out for him. In other words, she's giving Jesus her all. She's willing to break open what she has and give it all to him. Many scholars believe that this would have represented Mary's life savings. This would have been her entire life savings that she is pouring out. But her life has been transformed by Jesus. Remember, Jesus has just resurrected her brother Lazarus. She had witnessed his miracles. And now, because of Jesus displaying his love and giving her brother new life, she has been given new life as well. Remember last week, she learns and she believes that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So in return for his love for her, she gives her all to him. And she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's not worried about what others are thinking, that she's breaking open this alabaster jar and she's pouring it out for Jesus. She is overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude. Therefore, she gives. And the application point here for us is this. Love gives extravagant gifts to God, even when others don't understand. Mary did not have an agenda. She didn't give with expecting to get something back. She did not give out of obligation or out of duty because she was told to. She simply gave out of love and appreciation for Jesus. And she gave the best, the most extravagant thing that she had in her life in worship and in adoration of Jesus. Now, how this applies to you and to me today is this. Ask yourself, am I giving extravagantly to God in response to his love for me and my love for him? If I were to ask you if you love Jesus and your response is, yes, of course I love Jesus, then are those simply words? Well, yeah, I love Jesus because I'm supposed to love Jesus because Jesus loves me. Are they merely words or are you displaying that love through extravagant giving? And when you say, I love you to Jesus, Jesus would expect that there would be times that you would give him extravagant gifts. 
And we see throughout Scripture that sometimes that gift will be your time, that you give extravagantly of your time, and you say, my calendar, my life, my time is going to be rearranged so that God is the center, He's the focus of my life. I'm going to give God extravagantly of my time. Whether that means waking up early, whether that means making sure that I get to church on time, whether that means I'm going to spend time in His Word studying, I'm going to focus on my time honoring God. Sometimes that gift will be with your talent. God has gifted you in a specific way. No matter what it is you do as a career, he has given you a gift. And are you using it for his glory? Sometimes it means that gift will be your money or a possession. God has given you everything that you have. Are you giving extravagantly back to him, recognizing it's all his to begin with? To truly love is to give all that you have to the one that you love. And we know this is true in our relationship with God. It's also true in our relationship with people. When we truly love those around us, we will give extravagantly to them, holding nothing back. So you say that you love God. The question we must all ask ourselves is this. Am I willing to break open all that I have and pour it out for God? It's a big question. It's a serious question. And I can tell you, I have witnessed several people give extravagantly to God of their time, of their talent, of their possessions. And I can tell you that witnessing their love for God has motivated me to love God like that as well. And I have never heard anyone ever tell me they regretted giving their all to God. I've never had anyone tell me that I regret pouring out my time for God. I regret pouring out my talent and giving it to glorify God. I regret pouring out possessions and giving to God extravagantly. I've never heard anyone say that. It's a huge decision. It's a huge upfront sacrifice for us to get into that mindset to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Mary and I'm going to break open everything that I've got. And I'm going to say, God, it's yours. This is for you. I'm going to worship you with it, with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. But when you finally do that and you break open all that you have and you pour it out for Jesus, what you find out is a beautiful truth from scripture is that he has your back. That's what you'll realize. Once you pour it all out and you say, God, it's all yours. I'm giving everything to you. Jesus has your back. Mary poured out everything for Jesus. She gave it for him. And guess what happened? Immediately, Judas attacked her. But guess what? Jesus had her back. When you read this, it says, Jesus said, leave her alone. And he does the very same thing for you. When you give to Jesus out of love, he always has your back. When you pour out your time for Jesus, when you pour out your talent for Jesus, when you pour out your treasure for Jesus, there will be people that will say, what are you doing? Why are you scheduling everything around church and God and your relationship with God? Why are you using your talent to bring glory to God when you could do so many other things? Why are you willing to give a tithe and an offering to the church when you could do other stuff with that money? What will happen is people will question you like Judas did, why you're giving and pouring yourself out for God, but Jesus will say, leave them alone. That's what he says for you and for me. When you give to Jesus out of love, he always has your back. Now, think on these two questions. Answer these in your mind. Number one, what's the most extravagant gift you've ever given to another human being? Think about that in your mind. Maybe write it down in your notes. What is the most extravagant gift you've ever given to another human being? And now, once you've thought of that gift, ask yourself, why did I give that? Why did I pour out like that? Why did I give that huge gift to that person? It's because you love them. You love them maybe even more than anyone else. And you love them so much that you poured out for them. And that leads to the second question. 
What's the most extravagant gift you've ever given to God? It's a tough question to ask. Whether it's talent, time, or financial gift, could it be? Could it even be labeled extravagant? Here's what I want us to realize. Far too often we focus on the extravagant gift that God has given us, which is salvation through His Son Jesus, and we should focus on that. It's a beautiful, extravagant gift. He poured out grace for us poured out grace for us so that no matter what sin we have committed when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are seen as righteous and holy before God because of his sacrifice and we're able to live in heaven with him for eternity. That's an extravagant gift. But all too often, I think we focus so much on that and how much God has given us extravagantly that we fail to respond in love to that amazing gift by giving extravagantly back. And we say, I love Jesus. Thank you for this gift of grace but then our lives don't prove it. Our lives don't prove that we love Jesus. We're merely saying words. And many of us, if our biggest, most extravagant gift to Jesus were documented like Mary's gift here in the Bible, if it were out there for everyone to see the biggest that we've ever given back to God, many of us would be embarrassed because we haven't fully displayed our love for God like He has poured out for us. And this is a challenging word for me. This is not a rebuke on anyone out here. This challenges me as I read through this text because probably most of us would say that we haven't given as extravagantly to God to prove our love to Him as we should or as we desire to because we don't want to break open our alabaster jar so we protect it. Isn't that what we do? We've got these alabaster jars that we've collected and we want to keep them safe. We want to save it for a rainy day. We want to hide it away. We want to make sure that our stuff that we've collected is protected and safe and secure. So we hoard it and we hold on to it. So we have to ask, do I really love Jesus like I claim? Do I really believe that he has my back? If I give extravagantly to God, do I believe that he's going to say, hey, leave them alone. I've got them. Am I willing to show it by giving extravagantly and without an agenda? Now, I understand when we talk about giving, what you give is between you and God. We're not watching you as a church to assess what, whether or not you love Jesus by how you're giving of your time, talent, and treasure. This is not an example in the Bible for us to flaunt our giving. This is not about saying, hey, look at me, look at what I've given and, and how much I've given. And, you know, I, I give on you know, to, to demand that my name be put on a wing of the church or, or a ball field for my philanthropy. This is not about giving like that. Mary was not giving in that way. Mary did not flaunt her giving. This was between her and her Lord. She simply and humbly poured her life out for Jesus. And that's the example that we're to follow. And only you know and only you can answer that question of whether or not you're giving extravagantly to your Savior. And this is a challenge for me to ask myself and assess my life and say, am I giving everything I've got? Am I willing to pour out of my time, my talent, and my treasure to show God how much I love Him? But we have to remember that we can never disconnect our giving from our loving. Because if we truly love then we will give because true love gives and it gives extravagantly. And when you give extravagantly, Jesus has your back. And when you give extravagantly, the purpose of Jesus is then fulfilled through his church. So give extravagantly to Jesus. The second thing we see in this text is that a multitude of people are publicly praising Jesus. They are publicly giving praise because they believe that he will be their king. And we see him request a donkey to ride in on in this text. Now, most of the time, we tend to think what a lowly animal to choose, a donkey. He rode in on a humble, lowly donkey. 
But actually, as we dig into the text, as we dig into the history and understand the time that he was living in, a donkey was an animal of honor. It was actually an animal, an animal of honor in those days. In the Old Testament, it talks about David's sons, and they were all princes, and they rode on donkeys. Prophets would enter a town. They would ride into town on a donkey. When a king was on a mission of peace to another city, this is very important, he would ride in on a donkey. When a king was on a mission of war, he would ride in on a war horse, a stallion with his army. So Jesus, he enters in on a donkey because he's on a mission of peace. So we look at verse 12 in John chapter 12, and it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That means he's coming in peace. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. Now, here are just a couple of points from that text. The word Hosanna in Hebrew literally means save us now. They are declaring, you're the king. Save us now. Rescue us. But they had the wrong picture of the kind of king that Jesus would be. Their expectation was he's going to defeat Rome. In their minds, he'd be riding in on a stallion. He was going to come in on a horse, and he was the king, and he was going to defeat Rome, and all the Jews would now be in control. So they had the wrong picture of who Jesus was. They were loving him and proclaiming their love for him because they thought he would set up an earthly kingdom. But the application is still the same for us today. Loving Jesus means you give public profession. They loved him because they believed he was going to come and set up his reign and rule here on earth. So they give public profession of that love. You and I love him because we understand he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is setting up his eternal kingdom for us to live in. Therefore, we are to publicly profess. But I think many of us have a problem with giving public profession. Sometimes we fail to do that, and here's why. If you skip down in this chapter to verses 42 through 43, the Bible says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. So they believe in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Social status. Reputation. When it came right down to it, they cared more about what people thought about them than what God thought about them. And I think that a lot of us go through that. A lot of us struggle with that. Some of you, you became Christians, and from the moment that God saved you, you've been public about your faith, and you have shared it, you've shouted it from the rooftops, and you're letting everyone know that you're a Christian. But for the majority of people that I come across, it is more of a process, and it takes a little while. And why is that? I think it's because we care more about what our family thinks. We care more about what our coworkers think. We care more about what our neighbors think, what others think about us than what God thinks about us. And I can tell you that because that's exactly what happened with me. 
That's exactly what happened with me. Tanya and I became Christians at the same time, just shortly after we were married back in 1994. God had been working on both of our hearts. He'd been drawing us near to him. And for me, I started my own adult journey towards Jesus when I was in college at UK. My parents had raised me in the church and I knew about Jesus. And I would say with my lips, sure, I love Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus personally. And I wasn't living it with my life. I definitely was not giving him extravagantly of my time, talent, or treasure. None of those were being given to God. So I was not living the life that showed that I loved Jesus. And I didn't even really love him because I didn't even truly know him yet. So I was on a journey. But God started to draw me to him. And there was a college ministry on the University of Kentucky's campus that met on Thursday nights. So I started to go to that, but I definitely did not advertise it because it wasn't necessarily the cool thing to do when you're in college, right? So I cared more about what my teammates at UK thought. I cared more about what the people in my dorm thought about me. So I quietly went to this ministry on Thursday nights with another teammate. And we would go and we would attend, but then nothing would really change about the way we were living on Friday and then Saturday and then the rest of the week until Thursday night when I would show up at this ministry and I would claim with my lips, sure, I love Jesus, but the rest of the week nothing changed. My language didn't change. My life choices certainly did not change. The way I was living didn't change. I did not publicly proclaim that I love Jesus. I thought that I love God, but I did not give him in return what he was offering to me. Then after Tanya and I were married, we both started to really seek God together, and he pursued us as well. And in 1994, we both became Christians as we received salvation through placing our faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And we began to attend church every single weekend. We began to say, okay, I'm giving my time to you, God. We joined a Bible study group and started to study the Bible together. We studied the Bible together at home. We bought a couple's devotional, and we studied it every single night together before we went to bed. We started to volunteer at church. And we began the process of saying, we're going to give extravagantly of our time and of our treasure and of our talent. And we were on this journey. But for about a year, God worked on us to publicly profess our faith. But we didn't. You see, we began to learn the Bible says that we are to repent and be baptized. We had the repentance, the private repentance part down. But we weren't ready to be publicly baptized because baptism is an outward expression of our inward devotion to God. And baptism is the ultimate act of giving public profession of our love for God. It's the very first thing God calls us to do once we've accepted his gift of salvation is to publicly profess our love for him through baptism. Jesus, in his great commission to the disciples and to each of us, says this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you see this public profession. You see the importance of baptism in discipleship. And then you see that Jesus is with us till the end of the age. He's got our back when we publicly profess him. So whether or not to be baptized is not even up for debate because Jesus said, do it. Yet, Tanya and I, we we waited. We, We didn't do it yet because we were afraid to publicly profess our love for Jesus. Why is that? Because we were looking for what man thought of us more than what God thinks of us. We struggled with pride. What will people think? 
And the longer it got, the more we struggled with that. What are people going to think? We, we gave our lives to Christ a year ago. Are they going to think that, well, well, we're not Christians yet? So we still didn't do it. We've been serving in the church. We're serving in the youth group and we're leading youth, but we're not even baptized yet. Would they, would they ask us to step down? We struggled with family history. What are our parents going to think? What's our family going to think? They raised us in the church. They had us dedicated or baptized as little kids. Yet we didn't make that decision ourselves. So we struggled with fear and we were afraid to walk down in front of the whole church and then stand in the baptistry under those lights and be in front of everybody. We were afraid of the public profession part because of what others might think instead of what God says and what he thinks. And what we finally recognized is the bottom line was this. We were ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we were afraid to profess our love for him. We were letting excuses. We were letting fear of what others might think. We were letting doubts creep in to keep us from publicly professing our love for Jesus. So it was about a year after privately professing our faith in Jesus that we publicly proclaimed our love for Jesus through believer's baptism. And let me tell you, it is one of the absolute highlights of my life. One of the absolute highlights of my life is when I got baptized. It is a beautiful feeling when you come up out of that water knowing that you have been obedient to God's word and his great commission and you are assured by his word that your sins are being washed away and the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured into your life. The Bible tells us that it will happen and when you make that public profession, it's in that moment that you feel this pleasure of God just like Jesus had when he came up out of the water and the skies opened up and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You feel that pleasure of God when you come up out of those baptistry waters. And ever since that moment, Tanya and I have been unashamed of the gospel. And our desire is to publicly publicly proclaim God's love to anyone who will listen. We publicly proclaim our praise of our Lord and Savior. And I can tell you that maybe some of you have those same fears today. Maybe some of you are struggling with the exact same thing. Know today that you're not alone. And please know that no one judges you for waiting. I mean, we've done the same thing. It could be possible you've been a Christian for 30 years, but you've not publicly professed that faith through baptism. If that's the case, you're missing out on a fantastic part of the blessing of God and a part of the Great Commission. When you become a part of the Great Commission in this way, you truly do supernaturally feel the pleasure of God as you profess your love for Him. So I want to encourage you to lay those fears aside. I want to encourage you to publicly profess your faith in Jesus. We see it in the Great Commission. We see Jesus did it. And if you're worried about people thinking, were they really a Christian until this point? Was Jesus a Christian? Was Jesus following God up before he got baptized? Absolutely. Jesus was sinless. He was sinless until that point. But yet he did it out of obedience to what God would have him do. So if you'd like to be baptized, we would love to celebrate that with you. We could set it up next weekend. We could set up a private one with just you and your family. We'd love to celebrate as a church. We would love to help you take that next step. There are connect cards in every other seat in this place. I put them there myself, so I know they're there. Grab one of those connect cards. It looks like this. Fill it out. Put your name on it, your information. Click, check the baptism box. Put it in the giving box by the doors as you go out. We'll contact you. We'll set it up. We'll help you take this next step in publicly professing your love for God. Maybe you want to come forward at the end of the service and pray at the altar and then speak to a starting point guide. They can help you take that next step as well. You see, love gives extravagantly. Love also gives public profession. And then the third event that we see in this text is when a group of Greeks come and they ask to see Jesus. 
And it's up until this point, Jesus has said that his time has not yet come. Every time something would happen, you know, he would say, well, my time has not yet come. And he would shy away from the spotlight because it wasn't time for him to be revealed yet. But this question, it literally ignites the time for Jesus to come. We pick up in verse 23, just after they asked to see Jesus and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So the time has come. It is now, it is here, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be glorified. And Jesus launches into a description of how he will die. He says he will be lifted up, which meant to them he would be lifted up onto a cross. Jesus is saying the time has come for him to do what he came to do, to die for our sins because he loves us. Because, don't miss this, love gives sacrificially. Love gives extravagantly. Love gives public profession and love gives sacrificially and he challenges all who believe in him to follow him he's saying will you follow me but you got to remember this group that's there they have the idea that jesus is going to overtake rome and now he's saying that he must die so they speak up in verse 34 and they say so the crowd answered him we've heard from the law that the christ remains forever how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man so jesus said to them the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. You see, the Jews, or the, I'm sorry, just like these Greeks, we can have this picture of what following Jesus looks like. And we think it's something different because we want to follow Jesus on our own terms. They wanted to follow Jesus the way that they wanted him to look. They wanted to follow Jesus if he conquered Rome. We want to follow Jesus if he conquers everything that we face. And what he's saying to them and what he's saying to us is that once you receive eternal life, once you place your faith in him, there needs to be a moment in your life and in my life where we bow down on our knee and we say to him, I surrender and I'm going to follow you no matter what, even when it does not make sense to me because love gives sacrificially. But too often we follow Jesus based off of what he can do for us. And whether or not we follow him closely tends to be related to what we have seen him do for us. And we wouldn't admit that, of course, but our lives tend to reveal it. I've heard way too many stories like this, and you probably have too. I used to believe in Jesus, then my mom got cancer and died, and ever since then I've been far from him. I used to be a Christian until my friend was killed by a drunk driver, and since then I just haven't been able to get close to God. I used to be a Christian until my marriage fell apart. I grew up in church, but I can't understand how loving God would allow poverty and starvation in this world. So when God doesn't look like the way we want him to look, we don't follow him anymore. We don't love him anymore. And what those kind of comments say is this, I will believe in Jesus as long as my life works out the way that I want it to work out on my schedule, in my time, the way I see it going on my terms. As long as God looks the way I want him to look, then sure, I'll follow him, I'll love him, I'll believe him. But guess what? That's not love. That's not a loving relationship. God wants so much more for you. His ways are so much bigger and so much better than our ways. So he does what he does and allows what he allows in our life so that he can be glorified, so that we will look to him, so that he can 
reveal himself to us. And if we will only love Jesus based off of our desires and our wants, then we miss out on the true beauty of his extravagant, incredible, amazing love for us. Verse 37 says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. How could they see these miracles, these signs, yet not believe in him? It's because he still hadn't met, met their felt need. They wanted him to look a different way than what he looked. You know, how many miracles will it take for them to believe in Jesus? How many miracles will it take for you to fully believe in Jesus? They witnessed so many signs, yet they still did not believe because they wanted a Messiah that came on their terms. So the Bible says they hardened their hearts toward God, and they continued to harden their hearts toward God. And we look throughout Scripture, and we see in the Old Testament that Pharaoh, the Bible says he hardened his heart towards God. He hardened his heart towards God. He hardened his heart towards God. Then finally, the Bible says something striking. It says, so God hardened his heart. And the reality is, when we harden our heart towards God and we continue to harden our heart towards God and we don't follow him, we don't receive his love, we don't respond in love to him, then finally, eventually, there's that danger, that threat of that God will just say, okay, I've been gracious, I've offered, I've been long-suffering, I've been patient with you, but finally there'll come a time that he will harden our hearts because we've become so hardened on our own. So the Bible says here that they harden their hearts towards God. And then we see that's such a dangerous place to be. But there's always good news. The good news of the Bible is this. Verse 42 says that many believed in him. You see, he has been proclaimed as king. Some rejected him, some accepted him. He came to save us because he loves us. So he gave extravagantly for us. He gave publicly for us. He gave sacrificially for us. And verses 47 through 48 say, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see, church, I cannot judge you, and I don't judge you. Your friends, they cannot judge you. Even Jesus says he did not come to judge you. He came to save you. Here's what judges you. It's the word that Jesus has spoken. And because he loves you, Jesus came to save you, not to judge you. You see, it's the very word of God that will bring judgment. And that is precisely why we must know what the word of God says. God's word says that we are saved by faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. That's how we're rescued from judgment, is by placing our faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus declared his love for you by giving an extravagant gift to all who place their faith in him. His extravagant gift to you is his grace that you get to live for eternity in heaven because of his love for you. He also loves you by giving public profession of that love for you. Now, he gave a public profession when he was baptized of obedience to his Father in heaven and that we're to follow that. And when he went to the cross, he was publicly professing his love for all who would believe in him and that he was dying for you. And that is how his love gave sacrificially for you. You see, when someone gives sacrificially, we definitely see their love. We know that as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend this weekend, there are many who gave their lives sacrificially so that we could have the freedom to be here in church this morning, so that we could have the freedom to learn about God's love from his word. 
lot of people don't have that freedom. But we have that freedom, and His Word is evident, and His Word is preached, so we have to respond. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, specifically gave His life for you. When you receive that love, your response is to then live like Jesus. And we are to give extravagantly. We are to give public profession of our faith and our love in Jesus. We are to give sacrificially. And when we do, we look like Jesus. And it is then, with our love on full display, that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He says, I've got your back. He tells the enemy, leave them alone. And isn't that what we all desire? You see, we have an enemy, and he's coming after us. And he's trying to attack us with doubt and fear. But Jesus says, leave them alone. Leave them alone, they're mine. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And God, I know that there are some in this room today who need to accept your extravagant gift of grace. God, there are some in this room that have never said, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to accept his salvation that he offers to me by his death, burial, and resurrection. I thank you for the power that he has over the enemy. God, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to display my love for Jesus. Father, if there's anyone in this room today that needs to do that, I pray you help them do that by just praying and accepting your grace. Father, as we open the altar, I pray that any person that's feeling that nudge from your spirit, that they would come and just kneel at the altar and they worship you and they would pray to receive salvation through faith in Jesus. God, some of us in this room, we need to begin, begin giving. We need to give back of ourselves because we claim that we love you, but we haven't shown it with our lives. Father, there's some in this room that need to start giving extravagantly. If you've placed that on their heart, if you've nudged them today to show them that they've not been giving extravagantly of their time, their talent, and their treasure back to you, that you would help them take those steps and to trust you've got their back. Father, there's others in this room that need to give public profession that they love you. Some are struggling with that choice of baptism. I pray that today they see that it's a command that you've given and they would receive that, that they would they would push aside the fears that they would decide to, to give their lives fully to you by publicly professing their faith in you through baptism. God, we rejoice in that and those that hearts you're working on, we celebrate along with them as they make that public profession. Give them the courage to fill out that card, to come forward and pray, to speak to a starting point, God. And God, there's others that need to start giving sacrificially and to say, I need to just give my all. I need to surrender my all. I need to break open the alabaster jar and just pour it out for you, God. Father, whatever it is, whatever phase we're in, stage we're in of our life, Lord, I pray that we would take another step towards you today, that we would move forward towards you in our faith. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we give you our all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Charge Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krauss continues in the series, Love. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.